Amen. As we were worshiping, I couldn't help but be reminded of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified with Christ. Acts chapter 20 tonight. As you're finding Acts chapter 20, I, I, we're going to start in Acts 20. We're going to end at 21, but I wanted to start at the end of 20 tonight and sweep into 21. A um, couple of things. One, don't forget Saturday, 8.30 here at the church. If you can help us decorate for Christmas, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, the ladies are having their Christmas dinner and fellowship, and we had a few more gals sign up since Sunday, but we could use a few more to make that 100 goal. So if you haven't signed up yet, you still have time. And I had the realization today that after tonight, we only have two more Wednesday nights this year. Two more because we're taking the last two off, the 20th and 27th. So we've only got two more Wednesday nights this year, so let's finish strong, shall we? And if our worship time was any indication, this is going to be some good weeks, good, good stuff. So let's finish strong this year and finish out the year really going after the Lord. I wanted to end or begin with the ending of chapter 20 tonight because of how chapter 21 starts out. Luke records after we tore ourselves away. Well, why does he use such strong language there? Look with me at verse 36, 37, and 38 of Acts 20. Paul and his companions had become dear to the Ephesians, and the Ephesians had become dear to Paul and his companions. And they knew, I think they just had the impression that this would be the last time that they would ever see each other on earth. And so when Paul had said these things, he knelt down with them all and prayed, Acts 20, 36. They all began to weep loudly and hugged Paul and kissed him, especially saddened by what he had said that they were not going to see him again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. I want to point out something, though. Believers' goodbyes are only temporary. You know, one day we're all going to have to say goodbye to each other on earth but we have the hope of seeing each other again in heaven. So remember that. Next time you say goodbye to one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, it might be the last time you see him on earth, but it's not going to be the last time you see him. And that's why then when we begin in chapter 21, Luke says, after we tore ourselves away from them, this again reveals 
the love, the affection, the strong feelings and the emotions that these Christians had for one another. Do you have anybody in your life like that? I mean, somebody that, or a few people, it's like, it's hard to say goodbye. It's hard to walk away. It's hard to part company. You don't want to leave their presence. That's what these folks are experiencing here. They have such sweet times when they're together. Such refreshing times when they are with one another. And they don't want it to end. I feel that way a lot of Sundays and Wednesdays here. Like we could just keep on going. Don't want to see it end, right? And then notice they were put out to sea and it says they were sailing a straight course. I I had to write in my Bible after the words a straight course, God's path for us is rarely a straight line. And they set out for a straight course, but it wasn't going to end up being a straight. That's like us. You know, we may think, oh, we're going from point A to point B, but God's got some twists and turns in there. He always does. God likes to keep things interesting, right? So they kept sailing. And they come down, verse 3, to Tyre and finally bring the ship in, unloading its cargo. And notice the first thing they do when they get off the ship. They're always on the lookout for fellow believers. <laughs> they always are yearning for the fellowship of fellow believers. And they spent seven days there ministering, discipling, strengthening, refreshing the hearts of the disciples. Wouldn't that have been great to be there for seven straight days with the Apostle Paul and Luke and all the others and heard them teach and preach the word of God and sing songs together and pray together. That would have been an amazing seven days. But now we get to sort of the crux of this whole chapter and passage. Notice they repeatedly told Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Clearly, the Spirit of God was giving them information, revelation, about what would happen to the Apostle Paul if he went to Jerusalem. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. Keep your finger in Acts 21 and go back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, for just a moment. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Because Paul's journey here to Jerusalem, to him feeling like this is where God is leading me, is parallel to the path that Jesus took to Jerusalem. In chapter 9 of Luke, look at verse 51 and 53. Luke records, now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Jesus had a fixed resolve in a certain direction in his life. No matter what else happened between where he was at any given time, the goal was Jerusalem because that's where the culmination of God's will for him being here was going to take place, to die on that cross for the sins of the world. Look at verse 53. He was determined to go to Jerusalem, Jesus. His face was set. His eyes were fixed 
okay? Keep those verses in mind as we now go back to Acts 21. Paul is very much the same. He has this resolution to go to Jerusalem. He, he feels called of the Lord to go, but he stops entire. He has this wonderful seven days with this group of believers, and through the Spirit, they are telling him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because it's going to be bad for you if you go. Guess what? They're not the only ones that tell Paul this. I'm getting a little bit ahead, but I, I want you to see this. When they get down to, on, the, on in their journey, another group of believers in Caesarea hear about Paul and are given revelation. And notice after this prophet comes in, Agabus, and shares this prophecy, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes, Notice it says in verse 12, when we heard this, both we, meaning Luke even, and his companions, Paul's traveling companions, and the local people begged him not to go to Jerusalem. Same phrase is up in verse 4. Don't go to Jerusalem. Now we know, if you know what's happening here, Paul goes to Jerusalem. So is Paul being disobedient to the Holy Spirit who clearly is telling these people about what is going to befall Paul when he gets to Jerusalem? Is he not being obedient to the Lord? No. These people had right knowledge from God, but they were coming to a wrong conclusion. Right knowledge Wrong conclusion. And the reason I bring this up is this goes along with what I shared Sunday about we know in part and we prophesy in part. We are looking in a mirror indirectly, which is why we have to be careful when we say we've got a word from the Lord for someone and we draw a, a particular conclusion an interpretation from what God is giving us. God may be giving us the right information, but our own hearts, our own selves may be in the way of the conclusion that we draw from the information God gives us. Okay? I'll come back to that a little bit later on, but I wanted to sort of set the table with that. Okay? I'll resolve it, I think, for us tonight, but let's keep moving on. So you see what's happening here. Notice verse 5. When our time was over, we left. We went on our way, all of them with their wives and children. They accompanied us outside of the city. And I love this. This is beautiful. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, I couldn't help but think of that when Nicole knelt down on the platform tonight as she was leading us. But notice where they were kneeling, on the seashore. Why? Because prayer is appropriate anywhere and any, everywhere. And they were praying. It was time for Paul and his companions to set sail. That meant it was time to pray. It's always good to pray. Prayer was a priority of these people. 
They didn't make a move most of the time without praying. Think about all the verses in the Bible that encourage us to prayer. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer in Ephesians. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. I mean, over and over again, the Bible talks to us about the importance and priority of prayer, and you see it here. After they had a precious time of kneeling and praying together on the beach, they said farewell to one another, verse 6. They went aboard the ship and they returned to their own homes. We continued the voyage from Tyre. We arrived in Ptolemais. We greeted the brothers, because guess what they always were doing? Looking for fellow believers. And we stayed there for one day, and then on the next day we came and left to Caesarea. They entered the house of Philip. And Luke gives us a little bit more information about Philip so that we'll make the connection that Philip is the friend and associate of Stephen, the one that we are introduced to back in Acts chapter 6 whenever the widows needed help and the church looked for spirit-filled people to take the lead on that. And Stephen was the first one mentioned. Philip was the second. And it even says there he was one of the seven. An interesting fact about Philip, he had four unmarried daughters. I think that Luke is just reminding us, for whatever reason, these four young ladies had a calling on their life, and it was a calling even to, to remain single and to just be totally devoted to the work of the Lord. And they were prophets who prophesied. They spoke what God was revealing to them. That's, in essence, what prophecy is. It's not always about foretelling something in the future. It's about foretelling. It's about getting a message and revelation from God and speaking that message when you know God wants you to share it. Now, obviously, there are times where God gives us a message and it's just between us and God and God doesn't want us to share it with anybody. But there's other times where God says, I'm giving this to you so in turn you can share it with someone else in particular. He may have someone specific in mind for us to share that revelation with or that word with or it may be a general audience that he wants to. But again, that all goes back to us then being in tune with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being aligned with the Spirit, so that not only do we hear those messages from God, but we know when and where and to whom God wants us to share those messages. Amen. That was his daughters. But notice, God did not choose any one of those daughters or all of those daughters to share a prophecy. God had another prophet that he brought onto the scene, a man by the name of Agabus, who came down from Judea when he heard that they were in Caesarea, and he came and he gave a very dramatic illustration of divine inspiration. He takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and his feet with it, and he says this, the Holy Spirit says... This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will tie up the man whose belt this is and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, notice something about this prophet, Agabus. He is clearly saying, the Holy Spirit has given this to me about Paul. But unlike the other two groups, he doesn't tell Paul he shouldn't go. 
He just tells Paul what's going to happen to him if he goes. You see that? Because notice as we continue on in the story. When we heard this, verse 12, we and the local people begged him not to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is so important. We've sung a lot about surrender and the Lord's will and giving our lives to the Lord, and and it all really culminates in these words of Paul. They are very powerful. First of all, Paul, in response to all of this, says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I mean, Paul was obviously moved by their love and concern for him, but he would not be deterred in what he knew in his own heart to be the will of God. Because notice what he says. I am ready, guys, not only to be tied up, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Paul is ready. And the reason, then, you see now the conduct, the reason why the first group told him not to go and the second group told him not to go is not because they had contradictory information to what Agabus was giving. It's just that their own self got in the way of the conclusion. They were given right information and consistent information by God, but they did not want to see Paul have to suffer and go through that pain. And so they said, Paul, don't go. But that wasn't God's will for Paul. And Paul knew that. And so why this is an important lesson for us is we may have instances in our life where, again, we know and we, like Paul, are ready. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. This is important. That we are ready to do God's will because we are abandoned to God. We are surrendered to God. And we don't care what is in our path. We are confident in God's will for us. And we are content in God's will for us no matter what. But others may, just because of their love and concern and not wanting to see us have to go through a struggle or pain or anything that might be part of God's will for our life, they might try to talk us out of it. And you and I, then, that's where you and I have to be sure enough in what we know God's will is for our life that we can look people like that in the eye and say, thank you, but I need to continue down this path because I know that this is the path God has me on. I mean, did not Jesus go through this with his own disciples? When he would, anytime he would bring up that he had to, you know, this sacrifice, you know, dying and all that. It's like, no, no, we, we don't want to hear it. <laughs> da, 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 da. Stop talking, Jesus. They, they did not want to accept, embrace, be confident or content in God's will for Jesus. You and I are going to run into that. 
And we can be on both sides. We could be the kind of people like these other two groups were, that we're getting right information from the Holy Spirit about a situation, but we're coming to the wrong, it's like, oh, I don't want them to have to go through that. Well, that might be God's will. And that's where the songs in our worship time was so powerful because it really, to me, even began to align and set our hearts to where they need to be, which is where Paul's heart is. Notice he says something very important. I am ready. This means, Paul says, I am in a position of being ready or prepared. And it's not like Paul saying, oh, I just heard about what's going to happen to me and now I'm going to flip a switch and I'm going to become super spiritual, Paul, and I'm going to now be able to embrace and accept whatever God has for me no matter what the pain and suffering. No, 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 no. To be ready means that Paul saw his life as well as all other Christians' lives as an everyday preparation for what God's will is down the road. And that you and I have to come to that mindset where I can't get to a certain place in my life and feel like I'm ready to rise to the challenge or that I'm prepared for this season of my life if I'm not willing to put myself in a place on Sundays, on Wednesdays, every day of my life where I'm allowing God to prepare me and make me ready for that season. Am I tracking? Are you, you tracking with me? Okay, good. It's a matter of fitness. It's a matter of, of being fit and staying fit so that when that day comes, I'm not going to be ready or feel prepared if I've neglected my walk with God all this time and then this thing happens, this situation, this circumstance, and I think that I can flip the switch and I'm going to be ready or prepared. No, 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 no. We've got to get Christians to change that kind of mindset too. It's an everyday preparation that God wants to do in our life because he and he alone knows what's coming in our lives and how we need to be prepared. So here's another thing. That means every day as a Christian, our lives are absolutely purposeful because every day from God's perspective, he is wanting to make us fit, make us more ready, make us more prepared for what's coming. So that we're not caught, as we say, with our drawers down. So that we are ready. So the question we all have to ask ourselves tonight, maybe you and I don't need to be ready or prepared like Paul to literally die physically. But are we ready and prepared? Have we been putting ourselves in position with our God on a daily, weekly, monthly, this year basis to where I'm ready, Lord. To have that kind of confidence, to even say that, I'm ready. And to declare it to other believers to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to be tied up if they tie me up. I'm ready to die if that's what God's will is. Because notice verse 14. Paul's resolve was clear and fixed, and sometimes ours have to be too, because we're going to have a lot of other voices in our heads at times as Christians, 
as spiritual leaders, as ministry leaders who are going to try to tell us to go a certain way. And we've got to be sure, no, 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 this is the path God has me on and I've got to have the resolve and, and the clarity of God to know I can't be persuaded from going, not going down that path. You might disagree with me, but I've got to keep going this way. Because notice these last words in verse 14. Most important words in the whole chapter. That's why I entitled this chapter, Let the Lord's Will Be Done, because that's exactly what Paul says. The Lord's will be done. Because why? Because Paul was ready. He was prepared. Why? Because in his daily walk with the Lord, he had learned to be confident in God's will for his life and content with God's will for his life, whatever it was. He had that kind of, you know, connection with God. And God wants all of us to get there to where in any given season, in any situation, in any circumstance, we will face it like Paul and say, Paul, God, whatever it is, I'm confident that you're choosing this path because it's best for me. And I'm content with that. Whatever your will is, I'm content with that. I mean, these worship songs we sang tonight, they're not just obviously uplifting and, and moving. I got to tell you, they're, they're convicting, right? I mean, I mean, when you sing words like, take my life and, and I surrender all, I mean, we're singing that to the Lord of glory and he knows our heart. Are, are we really? Do we really want him to have it all? Do, do, are, we, are we ready and prepared to say, whatever your will is, God, whatever it is, God. <sighs> By the way, I look at verse 14 of Acts 21 as Paul's Gethsemane. That's Paul's Gethsemane. You and I know the story. Jesus is struggling in the garden, sweating great drops of blood, but the finality of it all is when Jesus says to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Paul's there. Paul's there. The biggest obstacle each one of us has as a Christian to following the Lord is ourselves. When it comes right down to it, it is a battle of the wills. Is it going to be God's will or is it going to be our will? And listen, that battle takes place pretty much every day, multiple times a day. God, is it going to be about you? Because notice, Paul says, I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and be bound and die for the name of of the Lord Jesus. Because again, we've talked a lot about the name of God. The ladies did a study on the name of God. I'm going to be speaking next Thursday on the name of Jesus out of Isaiah chapter 9 or the names of the name of God literally embodies all that God has revealed about himself. So when Paul says, I'm willing to go 
and be a prisoner in Jerusalem and even die for the name, he's saying to all of us, everything God has revealed to me about who he is, that makes me willing to surrender all to him. It's his commitment, his devotion isn't based on ignorance. It's actually based on knowledge. The more he knows about his God, the more he wants to lay down his life. That's why God calls us to know him more. That's why we need to be on a, a lifetime pursuit of knowing God. Because the more you and I know our God and know what he's all about, we know there's no one that loves us anymore, no one who would choose our best above his, no one who's going to bless us and benefit us. As he says through the prophet Jeremiah, you know my people the plans I have for you. They are not plans to harm you, but to prosper you. The more I know about God, the more, as Nicole even pointed out, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I love that. I, I'm willing to lay it all down for you, God, and crawl up on that altar every day as a living sacrifice. Take it all, because I know you. Because I know you. And, and, and we've got to get more of God's people to the pursuit of knowing him and making it a priority in our lives every day. Because it's not out of ignorance I commit myself to God. It's out of knowledge I commit myself to God, as Paul did. After these days, verse 15, we get ready and we started up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea came along with us, more traveling companions. In fact, when we arrived in Jerusalem, you can only imagine how charged the atmosphere was. All those Christians, even the Lord's brother, James, that was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, they had heard about Paul and his conversion and all that was going on. I mean, you can imagine the anticipation of seeing Paul walk into Jerusalem and how was he going to be received? How was he going to be welcomed? And notice it says, they welcomed us gladly. It was an enthusiastic embrace. I thought, you know, we all need to continue to be that way. One of the things that I hear from visitors and new people that come to the church that stands out about the Oasis is the enthusiastic welcome and embrace they get when they walk through those doors. I just want to say thank you for being that kind of people. Let's keep it up. Because God's got more people to bring in those doors. Because God wants them to experience what you and I are experiencing here. And so we need to open up our arms and welcome them all in. I love this. Paul, verse 19, greeted them and it began to explain in detail. Notice these next four words. What God had done. <laughs> See the humility there? Not what Paul had done, what God had done. Yes, God used them, but they were just simply the instruments. God did it all, therefore God gets all the glory. And it says, when they heard this, they praised God. They praised God. I love the word praised here. It means to give glory to God. It means to acknowledge his value and worth. Oh, that's worship. That's praise. Now, the rest of the chapter, 
It's very interesting. Paul seeks to lay aside maybe his own preferences to keep unity in the the body and make some compromises, which says a lot about Paul too. He never compromised the gospel. He never compromised God's word, but he would would compromise lesser things. He, He picked his battles carefully because he wanted God's glory and the unity of the church to be paramount. And so he did everything he could. But there were always these people that kept stirring things up. And you see this in verse 27 of chapter 21. After these seven days were almost over, the Jews came. They started to stir up the whole crowd. They seized Paul and they tried to kill him. Look at verse 31. They were trying to kill him. A report went to one of the Roman officials and the attack upon Paul was restrained. They bring him in to a safe place. And Paul now is brought in verse 37 into the barracks. He asked the commanding officer, may I say something to you? Notice as Paul is interacting at this moment, not even knowing if his life is going to be much longer on this earth, there's a courage and there's a calmness and coolness about Paul. He's not like freaking out and get, why? Because he's ready. He's been prepared for this moment. The Roman official says, oh, you know Greek? (laughs) Then you're not the Egyptian who started this, you know, all this trouble out in the wilderness. Paul says, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus, a citizen of an important city. (laughs) Please allow me to speak to the people. And when when the commanding officer had given him permission, Paul stood, listen, folks, he stood on center stage on these steps and gestured to thousands of people, and they became silent, and he began to address them. Now, we're going to talk about this address next week, but, but here's the point I want to make in wrapping this up tonight. Paul was also ready and prepared for this moment. You and I don't know when God may open up an opportunity for us to witness And I don't mean just in an evangelistic way, like sharing the gospel. Obviously, that was something that Paul was going to do. But I mean just to be a witness of who God is to others, even fellow Christians. We don't know when God may say, all right, Jeff, it's your turn. I'm going to put you out there to a few people. Are we going to always be ready and prepared to seize that moment? And the reason I say that is because I want to leave you tonight with a verse out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says this, But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready, always, to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you possess. That's a powerful verse. We're going to talk about that verse in a couple of weeks in the life of David. But did you hear how this sort of comes 360 now? What Peter said? Always be ready. Always, continuously 
be in a state where you have went through God's preparation, his training, and you are fit for this moment. You're fit. Because you didn't just flip a light switch on and say, okay, I'm ready now. That never works. It's that you and I have walked with our God every day. And we have seized the moments of corporate and public worship. And we've been faithful to the house of God. And faithful to prayer. And faithful to worship. And faithful to the word of God. And we are ready and we are prepared for the moment whatever that moment is. Because that's what you see here. The high point is that the Lord's will be done. But how do you and I declare that so confidently and with contentment? By being ready by being prepared, by allowing God to ready us and prepare us every day. Paul said, I'm touched that you love me and care about me so much that you don't want me to go through the pain that I'm going to go through when I get to Jerusalem. But that's the Lord's will for my life. And I'm confident in the Lord. And I'm content in whatever his will is for me. Because when he saved me that day on the road to Damascus, and I recognized that Jesus Christ, the one that I was persecuting, is the Messiah. He's the Lord of glory. It was no longer about Paul. It was all about him. And that's where God wants all of us to get. But we're not going to get there overnight. It's a process. It's a preparation. So think about this. Tomorrow, when you and I wake up, that's just another day of God preparing us so that we can be like Paul and say, God, whatever your will is for my life, Bring it on. I am confident in you. I am content in you. Father, we thank you tonight for, Lord, how you have moved in your house, how you have moved in the homes of those who are watching all over the world. And, God, you have reminded us tonight that it is a privilege, it is an honor for us to lay down our lives for you, to give you everything we've got. And so, Lord, I, I pray tonight that there would be a, a deepening dedication here at the Oasis Church and that it would start with each of us and that the fire, God, that you light in us would light others as well. And that pretty soon, God, we would be a church on fire. Full flame. 
sending out your light into the darkness. God, use us. We thank you, God, for the, for the life that you give us to be able to bring glory to you. That's astounding. How a fragile, frail, finite human being can bring you glory. But Lord, you give us that privilege. So Lord, may we live with that goal in mind. The Lord's will be done. Not our will, God, but yours be done. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.